I'm Tasha Pierce, and this is a Sinister Silhouettes special report. And before I get into this special report, I'd like to thank Indie Drop-In for sponsoring today's episode. And also, a special thanks to Always Angry 94, Mac Tape, and Page 87 for your very kind reviews. If you haven't yet, please send your five-star reviews to Apple Podcasts. They really help get the show noticed. And now, on to the show. I can remember being a kid in Gary, Indiana. Now, Gary sits right outside of Chicago, a kind of unofficial suburb of the Windy City. And we had a blast in the summers. We played outside the whole day and part of the evening. Hide and seek, kickball, double dutch, and my favorites, football and basketball. That was many years ago, but in my mind, it was yesterday. I watched my son make the same type of memories, hanging out with the boys who would become like brothers to him. It saddens me to think that those memories are out of reach for this generation of Chicago's youth. It's becoming difficult for today's children to have that sense of innocence. They are increasingly being caught in the crossfire between the feuds of young adults. They have to be hyper-vigilant about their own safety. It's literally a matter of life and death for them. And it isn't fair. In this season of protest against the brutality many people of color face from police, it is only right to shed a light on the many victims of inner-city violence, particularly in Chicago. Now, please don't mistake my message as getting on a soapbox, spouting the black-on-black crime rhetoric. The truth is, I just want us to care about us. Our enemy is not only the subset of law enforcement who abuse their power, but it is also the cowards who are robbing our children of a future. The weeks continue to get more and more deadly. In fact, Chicago has surpassed the most deaths on a single day since they have been keeping records of this statistic. The last day of May recorded 18 homicides, the most in five decades. In fact, throughout May 2020, there were over 1,100 victims of gun violence. 1,100 in just the first five months of the year. If history is our guide, there will be an increase in homicides and shootings as the weather gets warmer. The weekend turned into the most violent of the year. Patrick Elwood is live at St. Sabina Church with details. Hi, Patrick. Lotus and Taman, good afternoon to you. A peace rally will be held here at St. Sabina in a couple of hours, led by the activist priest, Father Michael Flager, who, who will be, among other things, demanding that if someone knows who these shooters are, to turn them over to police. At 86th and Wood, a police officer tries to console a woman at the scene of a triple shooting with reports of two people dead. This comes after a weekend of murder and mayhem, the bloodiest of 2020. 
at least 106 people shot, 14 of them fatally, five of them were minors. In one incident, two boys, 15 and 16, were walking in an alley about 12.20 a.m. when someone fired at them, police say, from a gray sedan. A 13-year-old girl was shot inside her home and later died as well. Police identify her as Amaria Jones. Two boys sitting on the porch were also hit, but they're reported to be in good condition. But police say three-year-old McKay James was riding in the car with his 27-year-old father in the 600 block of North Central Avenue at 6.30 p.m. Saturday. But somebody in a blue Honda fired shots into that car, killing the three-year-old. Her father suffered a graze wound to the abdomen. Police say he was the intended target. Amid pleas within communities to stop the violence and turn in the shooters, CPD addressed the weekend's violence earlier today. Our cops are working hard. There are too many violent offenders not in jail or on electronic monitoring, which no one is really monitoring. We need violent felons to stay in jail longer. And we need improvements to the home monitoring system. Father Michael Flager, a longtime activist against gun violence, has always had his ear to the ground on the south and west sides of the city. And he recently told the Chicago Sun-Times that word on the streets is that on that deadly weekend in May, the police weren't out patrolling. Remember, that weekend was the beginning of the George Floyd protest. Simultaneously, there were groups of crusaders marching for a worthwhile cause and would-be murderers seeking their adversaries. There are areas that are over-policed, usually inner cities and disadvantaged neighborhoods. I understand that a police presence may loom over these communities like a dark cloud, almost like the police are just looking for a reason to pounce. There are also neighbors like the south and west sides of Chicago that seem that these communities need an increased police presence because they can't be trusted to police themselves. I mean, how many children need to die? Well, hello to you, Lauren. You know, this is the second weekend in a row we've had to tell you about multiple children being killed by gunfire in Chicago. A total of 16 people killed this weekend. Three of them were children. Grand total of 63 people shot this weekend. And now a group of Chicago business owners are putting up a big pot of money to ensure that those shooters of these babies are caught. The youngest victim killed this weekend was 20-month-old Sincere Gaston. He was shot in the chest while riding in his car seat near 60th and Halsted Saturday. His mother was grazed by a bullet as well. Ten-year-old <coughs> Nunez died that evening after being hit in the head by a stray bullet. She was inside a second-floor apartment in Logan Square when bullets came through the window in the 3500 block of West Dickens. Police believe the stray bullets came from two groups firing at each other outside. Then there was a 17-year-old killed in Humble Park that same day during a fight. An 8-year-old girl also shot while sitting inside on the couch at 66th and Southwood in West Inglewood. Luckily, she did survive with a graze wound to her head, though. Just last weekend, 106 people shot, including 3-year-old Makai James and 13-year-old Amaria Jones, both of whom were killed during the deadliest weekend of the year. A newly formed group called I'm Telling Don't Shoot is now offering 50000 
dollars in reward money to help find shooters in the cases of the littlest victims. We're talking about Makai and Sincere. The business owners are backed by Inglewood Alderman Stephanie Coleman, and they even showed the cash during yesterday's news conference. The 50 won't get you, we're going to put up another 25. If that 75 don't get you, we're going to put up 100. So you telling me with $100,000 reward, nobody's going to say, say nothing? So to report information in those two cases, you can call the tip line at 312-747-8380. And also a $2,000 reward is being offered in the case of Lena Nunez. We expect to hear from Police Superintendent David Brown later on this morning at 10. I'm from a place that believes in the no snitches rule. But I can also remember when as a teenager, a group of us were heading to the corner store to get snacks on our way to play basketball. A well-known drug dealer was in the parking lot. And he basically told us to keep it moving because some shit was about to go down at the store. And without question, we continued on our way. Now, am I putting this thug on a pedestal for giving us a heads up? In a way, I guess I am. Those were guys who lived by a code. If they knew you weren't about that life, they didn't aim to make you part of it. And another time, a different drug dealer came to a group of us who were just hanging out under the streetlight after dark. And he told us to go into the house. Now, I wanted to argue because we were having a great conversation, but the look on his face told me that something was about to go down in the street and that I didn't want to be present for it. Now, I never found out why either of these men had warned us to leave the area, but I lived to play another day. These so-called gangsters and drug dealers today have no code. They have no scruples. They are ruining lives and destroying families with impunity. Appeared in court today on charges he shot and killed two teenagers he didn't even know as they were on their way to buy candy. WGN's Gator Hall live with that story. So tragic on so many levels, Gator. It's heartbreaking. Pat and Dina, a prayer vigil for the victims is getting started here shortly. As the gunman in this case, he's 19 years old, now being held without bail. 17-year-old Jay Sean Francis and 16-year-old Charles Riley were friends and students at Hyde Park High School. They didn't know Leroy Battle, but police say a brief encounter with him on Saturday ended with deadly gunshots. Francis and Riley were with another friend. After a trip to the mall, they walked to a gas station to get candy. That's when they saw Battle in line. Prosecutors say the friend who witnessed the shooting noticed Battle had a gun in his waistband. He told his friends that, and then asked battle about his height, saying he wished he was as tall so he could play basketball. Police say battle followed the boys and opened fire multiple times in an alley near 79th and Luella, killing Francis and Riley. That's the only conversation that, that was that occurred. There was no altercation. Um, there was there was nothing that would have set off uh, battle to be angry at these kids. They literally he's he's about six three six four, and they literally just asked him how how, t how tall he was because he's that because he is extremely tall. I know it doesn't make any sense, and so just imagine how the how the parents feel. 
Police released surveillance footage of the gunman who was wearing a dark hoodie, whitewashed jeans, and only one shoe, and prosecutors say he walked with a noticeable limp. He dumped the gun in a garbage can, and surveillance video showed that he returned the next day wearing the same clothes, presumably looking for the gun, but investigators already had it. Police say Battle was arrested hiding out at a hotel in Schiller Park, and he had gotten a haircut. He is now charged with two counts of first-degree murder and was already on probation for aggravated unlawful use of a weapon. These are not the type of people the hood needs to protect. The hood needs to take its streets back, even if that means calling the police to your hood. A toddler and a 10-year-old child were killed in two separate incidents of gun violence in Chicago this past weekend. The 10-year-old girl died from her injuries on Sunday after she was shot in the head by a stray bullet that came through the window of her Logan Square home Saturday night. She was transported to John H. Stroger Hospital, where she later died, police told CNN. Separately, a 20-month-old boy was fatally shot in the chest, and his 22-year-old mother was grazed by a bullet while the two were driving home from the laundromat Saturday afternoon, according to Chicago police and reports from CNN affiliate WBBM. As of June 14th, there have been 268 murders in Chicago, a 22% increase from last year's total, but slightly below the murder totals of 2017 and 2016. And that's according to Chicago police data. Now, over Father's Day weekend, 11 people were killed, including four children, and 67 others were wounded in shootings. Now, while we're discussing gun crimes in Chicago, please be reminded that there are zero gun merchants in the city. The question on many people's mind is, where are these guns coming from? Now, as of 2018, 95% of the weapons used to commit crimes are not owned by the original purchaser. In fact, Illinois gun laws are among the toughest in the country. The state requires citizens to have a permit to buy firearms and to report stolen or lost guns. Residents who want to sell their guns privately are also required to solicit a background check from state officials and to submit documentation of the sale. This is where lax laws in other states come into play, namely my home state of Indiana. It is relatively easy to obtain a weapon in Indiana. Um, any Illinois resident can quickly go over the state line and purchase a gun illegally from gun traffickers. Gun shops also routine, routinely get robbed. And those guns are then distributed on the streets. And when they are eventually used to commit crimes, the roads never lead back to the black market sellers. In most cases, the gun has changed hands several times before law enforcement gets a hold of it. Then finally, the criminal organizations in Chicago may have help from the inside. It's not unusual for some officers to have gang affiliations. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. It is a fact that there are some officers who serve two masters. To further compound things, the NRA 
and other super PACs have tremendous sway over politicians. Our federal laws are terribly weak when it comes to gun control. Even with the ever-present threat of gunmen attacking children at school, little is done to ensure weapons don't get into the wrong hands. Now, I will go into conspiracy theory realm here. There are many who believe that the ATF or CIA are dropping guns off in poor neighborhoods. Now, it's said that they are hopeful that they can catch someone with one of these illegal weapons and make them a full-time employee of the penal system. There is no evidence that this is true unless you take into account the following case, as reported by the Chicago Sun-Times. John Thomas, a resident in his 30s, resorted to setting up illegal gun sales to help provide for his daughter. Now, working through an informant, the ATF enticed Thomas to set up small gun deals by offering to buy weapons for a high price. All of the guns Thomas brokered deals for were actually purchased by the ATF. Now, cases like Thomas's begs the question of whether or not the ATF is eliminating gun dealers or creating them. Then there are the often reported claims that the CIA was supplying crack in inner cities in the 80s and 90s. The truth is, the U.S. Justice Department and its agencies were aware of the Nicaraguan contralinked drug trafficking operations and allegedly thwarted local police investigations and blocked the prosecution of the contralinked cocaine traffickers. Technically, the ATF was complicit. And if the government can do that, is there any wonder that A, black people believe that it would indeed supply weapons to warring gangs to fill prisons, and B, we don't really trust them. This brings us back around to Chicago. Is it shameful that there are innocent lives being lost? Of course it is. It's even worse when the president of the United States compares the city to Afghanistan. It's embarrassing to us as a nation all over the world. They're talking about Chicago. Afghanistan is a safe place by comparison. Is Chirac the most dangerous city in the country? Although Chicago is probably the first city that springs to mind when you think of crime in Illinois, the Windy City is actually not even the most dangerous place in the state. With a violent crime rate of 1,386 incidents per 100,000 people, Rockford stands as the most dangerous city in Illinois. The murder capital of America is in Chicago, but it is in Illinois for the second straight year. With nearly one murder per 1,000 residents, last year's murder capital is East St. Louis in Illinois, and it has a murder rate of 17.5 times the national average and four times Chicago's murder rate. Of course, the murders in Chicago become big news because it is a major city. And I'm directing most of my comments to the shy because it's so close to home. But I could easily insert other large cities every time I said Chicago, Stockton, California, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Cleveland, Ohio, Baltimore, Maryland, Detroit, Michigan, 
Indianapolis, Indiana, to name just a few. Now, I'm saying this to everyone within the sound of my voice. Just like we want to hold law enforcement and elected officials accountable when lives are lost because of their actions, we need to hold our neighbors and ourselves to the same standards. Our children are not only our most precious possessions, they are our future, and we are letting them down. I had to speak on this because the crime rate in Chicago is still astronomical, but with a minimal amount of research, I found proof that there are cities in worse predicaments. I understand why the communities are frustrated and afraid to speak up. Black people, people of color, and poor people of any race have far too many examples of being let down by not only law enforcement, but the government on both the state and national levels. The news will lead you to believe that there is no more dangerous city in the U.S. than Chicago when a quick Google search will shed a unique light on the city. Now, my challenge to you is to be a change in your community. When you see something, say something. Sometimes the, pol the politicians and police don't feel how dire your situation is because they don't live there. You have to know that if your 10-year-old can't dance in front of a window without catching a stray bullet, there is a huge problem. If a baby is shot while strapped in his car seat, that is an issue. These kids deserve hide and seek. They deserve to play kickball and double dutch. They should be able to chase the ice cream truck without dodging bullets. The safety of your own community starts with you. Now, my hope is that while we are lamenting the deaths of so many people at the hands of police, we also plan for how we're going to protect these babies. When these rival factions terrorize neighborhoods with impunity, there is little incentive for them to stop. Please, for the sake of the kids, stand up and take back your streets. The next huge crime weekend is right upon us. Um, Independence Day. Last year, over the Independence Day weekend, close to 70 people were shot, six of them fatally. We're heading into July and it's only going to get hotter. I know that this message is unpopular amongst my brothers and sisters, and many feel like I'm siding with police, but that's the furthest thing from the truth. I'm siding with the young lives that are in danger every day. I'm siding with the parents who are trying to raise children in a pressure cooker. And yes, I'm siding with officers who take the pledge to serve and protect our community seriously. My words aren't politically motivated because I have no political affiliation. I am speaking truth, whether or not you want to hear it. And that's it for my open letter to the shy. I'm going to give you two things to think about before I get out of here. And before I do that, let me say another thank you to the sponsor of today's episode, Indie Drop-In. True Crime by Indie Drop-In is a podcast that features episodes from independent true crime creators. Each week, you'll explore a different aspect of the true crime genre. 
you'll hear episodes about serial killers, violence, conspiracies, celebrities, white collar, and much, much more. And you'll you'll hear uh, creators from all over the world, including an episode from me. Search for True Crime Indie Drop-In in your favorite app or click the link in the show notes. All right, my first something to think about before I get out of here is Crime Stoppers. Crime Stoppers is an effective national program that collects anonymous crime tips. So anyone who wants to report drug activities can contact Crime Stoppers via phone or online. In fact, you can report any type of crime on Crime Stoppers. It's a national tip line that is available 24-7 and uh, the program also operates out of local offices. Witnesses to crimes can make an anonymous phone call or fill out an online form. And what's more, you can rest easy knowing that all Crime Stoppers workers are trained to protect the caller's identity. And instead of caller ID, all incoming phone calls are assigned a numerical code. Now, if you have any information on any crime that is happening in your community that's making your streets unsafe, you can always call 1-800-222-TIPS. T-I-P-S. And then my second something to think about. This kind of a sad one, even though this whole story has kind of been a downer. But uh, on June 11th, it's been said that a quadriplegic black man named Michael Hickson, who had COVID-19, uh, was killed by a hospital in Austin, Texas, because doctors had to had decided he had no quality of life and was not worth spending the resources to save. Now, in this scenario that I read on Twitter, the race of the patient isn't the most appalling aspect. If this story is true, even more appalling is that America has come to this. The plug is being pulled on some of our most vulnerable citizens based on chance of a quality life. Doctors and hospital staff may be being forced to decide who is worth saving. Why? Because people refuse to be socially distant from one another and or wear masks. Now, the protesters from around the nation have begun being diagnosed with COVID-19. So have the people who go to the beach, the bar, etc. I'm begging you. On behalf of my elderly father and my best friend who suffers from COPD and congestive heart failure, wear your damn masks. Protect your neighbors. Thank you very much, guys, for listening to another, another episode of Sinister Silhouettes. This one was a special report. Again, thank you, everyone, for leaving ratings and reviews, and I'll be looking for more. If you are in uh, the States and celebrate Independence Day, be safe, be safe. And on that note, I will catch up with you. There will be, I'm sorry, there will be no live stream for this Saturday. Live streams will pick back up next week because I'm pretty sure nobody wants to hang out with me on the 4th of July. <laughs> so with that, thank you very much for listening. and. uh Stay the hell out the shadows. Peace. Please hold your feet.